The Vape Passion Show, episode 25. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is episode 25. I'm recording this on Saturday, July 16th. There has been a ton of content being published lately. It makes it really hard to pick which topics to talk about. And uh, actually, a lot of the topics I decided not to talk about, I'm probably going to talk about next week or try and fit them in. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, so I'm just going to jump right into it this week. So the first thing I want to mention is that, well, I received a comment from one of my subscribers, Katie. She mentioned an article on vaping360.com. It was titled, The Deeming Ban, What Should Vapors Be Doing Now? So what Katie said to me in her comment was that she's been worried about what will happen on August 8th when the FDA takes control of regulating vape products, especially after seeing their initial draft in which they're attempting to ban online sales as well as flavored e-juice. She has asked a couple of vape shops in her area and nobody seems to understand what this actually means for them. The most recent reaction she got was that she worries too much and that everything will be the same for two years. And she also hasn't seen many vape related articles or videos talking about it or speculating about it. So her concern is that nobody has realized that in less than a month, the FDA can add whatever regulations they want once these regulations go into effect on the 8th. So if you look at this article on Vaping360, this one was written by Jim McDonald. He writes a lot of really good articles. He mentions that the regulations take effect on August 8th, but provide a two-year window for manufacturers to submit their PMTAs, or the pre-market tobacco applications, for their products, and that almost no one believes that the FDA intends to act on a substantial number of these applications. So we don't know if that's true or not until these regulations take effect, but yeah, no one believes that they're going to actually, that FDA is actually going to act on these applications. But anyway, he also mentions that FDA's original plan was to ban e-liquid flavors other than plain tobacco flavors on the 8th. The Office of Management and Budget forced that to be changed. However, once that deeming rule is in place, the FDA is free to make any additional rules that they choose without review. So even changing the predicate date will not fix all the issues that the deeming regulations pose. The market will still be frozen as of the 8th, August 8th. However, it would provide businesses some certainty that the entire market will not collapse in those two years and encourage them to remain operating and continuing the fight in Congress and the courts. There are two things that people are really trying to support right now. That's the H.R. 2058 bill and the Cole Bishop Amendment. Both of those will change the predicate date. H.R. 2058 would be better for us, but it looks more likely that the Cole Bishop Amendment will pass this year, hopefully. H.R. 2058, maybe in 2017. We'll have to see, but it's worth supporting both of those. Vaping 360 also encourages all vapors and vendors to support the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition lawsuit happening right now against the FDA. So you can go to the Right to Be Smoke Free Association website. It's R2, the number 2, B, the letter B, smokefree.org. And at the very bottom, there's a button that says fight the FDA deeming regulations. Click here to support the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition. If you go there, you'll be taken to a forum where you can donate whatever you can. They have 10, 20, 50, 100 or more levels of contributions, or you can contribute a custom amount. If you want to do a dollar, five dollars, whatever, anything helps. You can make your donation monthly or not, and they accept PayPal and credit card. Katie, she also commented in the comment section of this article, and she mentioned Jim's statement where he said, however, once the deeming rule is in place, the FDA is free to make any additional rules they choose without review. So she asks, does that mean on August 8th, the FDA can decide to ban flavors or scrap the two-year window or anything they feel like? And Jim responded, and he said, yes, they could ban flavors after August 8th. Once e-cigs are officially tobacco products, they are pretty much free to do as they please. 
Their only concerns will be political, meaning that certain actions could create such an uproar that it might make the rest of their plan harder to implement, and legal, where it might make a certain action create grounds for more lawsuits. He also mentions here that Mitch Zeller of the FDA has said many times since he took his job that the deeming regulations are foundational. That is, they just open the door to the larger regulatory work ahead. He doesn't think that they would scrap the two-year window because that is actually written into the rule, but flavors, e-liquid ingredients, nick levels, power levels on mods, anything that wasn't spelled out directly in the rule can be added at any point after August 8th. And that's why it's so crucial that we get the predicate date changed. So that's really scary. And from what I've seen happening online, I don't think people really understand exactly how serious this is. Everyone thinks that, well, we have two years. We can still vape anything we want. But that's really not true. Um, that might be true. But the FDA, once the August 8th hits, the FDA can pretty much do anything they want to regulate the industry. And that's really scary. We don't know what's going to happen. And it's really important that all of us do everything that we can to fight against this, you know, supporting the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition and contributing to advocacy efforts and, and whatever we can do. And so along those lines of HR 2058, they actually picked up three new co-sponsors in the last week and the second Democrat, so that's really good news there. It's finally starting to pick up a little bit of steam, it seems like, with Democrats. And they've actually had six total uh, supporting it as of July, July 1st. Okay, so now in some news about fighting these FDA regulations, there are three Alabama vape shops who are now suing the FDA. Their claims being that the FDA's regulations are gonna annihilate the vaping industry rather than regulate it. So these three shops are Operation Vapor, Tiger Vapor, and Cyclops Vapor. The lawsuit states that none of these businesses sell products that contain tobacco. So Joe Hubbard, who's representing these three companies, he was he has stated that DC's court is a court that's focused on administrative regulation. They chose to file in Alabama because they have faith in the people of Alabama that they know what federal overreach looks like. So they're, they're going to be the ones to hear this case and decide if the FDA is overreaching. Hubbard also added that unlike other pending lawsuits, Alabama is the only court that demands a jury trial. So that's really interesting. And if you follow Plumes of Hazard, their YouTube channel just recently published a video from Understudy where he talks about the state of the industry. So if you watch this video, you'll, you'll basically get an idea of how he feels about the industry. Him being an insider who was a, a former board member of the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition, he knows a lot about what's happening in the industry. And in this video, he talks about how scary everything is and how bad it actually really looks for the vaping industry. It really doesn't look good. I'm just gonna play a couple of clips. I'm gonna tell you some things that I know. I have watched Safada tear itself apart due to egomaniacal politics and personal agendas. I watched one of our best advocates get cast out as a response. That was done by people protecting us, not the FDA. By the way, we won't be renewing our membership. I've seen large, and I mean large, vape companies say that it's against personal policy to donate to advocacy or trade organizations because they don't want to help their competitors and they feel that they will be fine. This has happened and it's disgusting. It is 100% absolutely f***ing disgusting. I've watched hearings where representatives have passed out handouts with trademark infringement la infringing labels of children's products. They absolutely saw it. They absolutely used it. I've watched companies capitalize off that controversy. I've watched companies release brands specifically to piss people off. And I've watched people buy it. 
I've watched people buy into it and I've watched their numbers soar through the roof. That's awful. Fucking awful. I've watched a million people that know nothing about politics claim to be experts and know the solution when they don't know I'm one of those people. I listen more than I speak. I don't really know And I've watched multiple groups crop on up under these ideals and split what little funds any of them actually have to fight in the first place. We are we have consistently been divided as advocates, as vapors, and we are f So here's my advice to you. Plan an exit or get your together. At this point, it will take every vendor, every person. Every person will have to do every call to action. Donate what they have. We have a small chance, and I'm not optimistic about it because I've seen the way this has gone, but I can dream. I can dream that maybe one day we will really pull our together. So as you can see, things are not looking good. Um, like he mentioned, it's really going to take all of us, anyone who cares about vaping, about helping people to quit smoking cigarettes, and just to have vaping around for pleasure. Whatever your reason is for using vaping, it's really important that you do something to save it right now. There was a comment here that kind of stuck with me too. This person said, the sad truth is most people will only give a damn when it's gone. And how true is that? I mean, that's with anything in life. Look at people who are seriously overweight, who are told that they need to change their lifestyle or they're gonna die. Look at the people who smoke. We know that by smoking, it's very likely that we're gonna get some kind of a smoking-related disease that's gonna kill us, like lung cancer. But we continue to smoke because we don't think about the long-term effects of that. Now we know that smoking is extremely addictive, so that's a part of it, but still, you, you get the idea. It's really sad that it's gonna take these deeming regulations to take effect before people really start to care about it. Okay, so let's move into some science and research related topics. This first article I want to talk about is on Michael Siegel's blog. It's titled Findings from New Pediatric Study Are Not Relevant to Overall US. So a lot of people are talking about this new study. It was published on July 11th in the journal Pediatrics and it concludes that overall nicotine product use among youth is increasing and that many youth who would not otherwise have used nicotine products are doing so because of e-cigarettes. So what Dr. Siegel says here is that the most important thing for readers to understand is that this study pertains to 12 specific schools in Southern California, so the results cannot be gen generalized to the overall United States. In fact, comparable data from the National Mon Monitoring the Future Survey refute the findings in this paper. On a national level, there was a huge decline in current smoking among high school seniors from 2004 to 2014, which was accompanied by a large increase in e-cigarette use. The overall use of nicotine products among these youth did not change much. Nationally, overall nicotine use has remained about the same, but the profile of that use has changed with a shift from combustible tobacco products to electronic cigarettes. So basically, nothing has really changed in terms of nicotine use. It's just that now youth are using electronic cigarettes instead of combustible cigarettes. Kasa also responded to this study with a, an article titled, Southern California researchers ignore historic low smoking rates in youth unjustifiably focus on specious claims of e-cigarette harms. So what Kasa says here is that the study had findings from a basic youth survey that confirmed record low youth smoking rates, but they use this data as an opportunity to express their bias, generate specious conclusions, specious being something that sounds true but is actually false, and to propagate unwarranted negative headlines. One of the things here is that the researchers incorrectly labeled e-cigarette use as one or more times in the past 30 days as current use. This measure provides no detail about how these groups are 
of people are actually using e-cigarettes, how often they are being used, or whether they even contain nicotine. There was no precise data on the use within the study, and there wasn't even any assessment of habit. The author's main conclusion was that e-cigarettes are not used only by adolescents who would otherwise be smoking cigarettes. They imply that e-cigarettes are recruiting new tobacco users. But a more accurate interpretation of this data is that e-cigarettes are a relatively new product, and those curious youth hesitant to use tobacco cigarettes are using them because of their dramatically lower risks than tobacco cigarettes. So basically, Kassah is saying that this study has very little scientific value, and its main purpose appears to be a propaganda effort to sway public opinion against electronic cigarettes. Okay, and so the last one for the science and research section is another article on vaping360.com titled, Who is Rebecca Williams and why is she wasting your money? So this one is about a woman named Rebecca Williams who is a very well-known anti-vaping researcher at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Vaping360 points out that the federal government allocates almost a quarter billion dollars for e-cigarette research, and a lot of that goes to people like Rebecca Williams, who is just really good at submitting grant proposals, but not very good at research. And if you look at any of the stuff that Rebecca Williams has put out, you'll see that a lot of it is garbage. Every single one of her papers concludes by claiming it provides evidence that strong regulation is called for, and none of it addresses issues that have created problems in the real world. A couple of studies that they point out here from her is things like electronic cigarette sales to minors via the internet, where she proved that minors with credit cards were able to make online purchases. Then there was that one research study not too long ago where she showed that e-cig buyers were using search terms like shop and sale rather than ones like health concerns or smoking cessation. Her claim being that buyers are more interested in buying electronic cigarettes than reading about the health and safety effects of the electronic cigarettes. I actually talked about that one in a previous show and I mentioned how wrong that, that study was just because they use data from Google AdWords, the Google Keyword Planner tool. And I'm very familiar with that tool because I work in the internet marketing industry and I use that tool a lot. Well, that tool, first of all, doesn't have all keyword data that people use. And secondly, most of what the Keyword Planner tool outputs is keywords that people search for that are likely to lead to sales, not so much information. So it makes a lot of sense why the data that they got out of that tool was all terms related to buying. It was uh, researched completely wrong. Anyway, another study that she wa just recently put out was one titled VapeCons E-Cigarette User Conventions. So basically what she concluded out of this study was that vaping conventions promote e-cigarette use and social norms without public health having a voice to educate attendees about negative consequences of use. And she actually wrote this without attending any vape events. She merely searched events on Google and wrote about what she found. And her latest study was titled, What is included with your online e-cigarette order? An analysis of e-cigarette shipping, product, and packaging features. So guess what she found? This study confirmed that there is a vast array of e-cigarette products available online. They also found that 38.4% of products arrived without instruction manuals. She also stated that almost all vendors featured starter kits cheaper than disposables, which were often sold in multi-packs or at higher prices than starter kits enticing customers to start with a reusable kit instead of a throwaway disposable, nudging them towards becoming regular customers needing to purchase e-liquid refills. This lady is like the queen of spin. She is so biased that you just can't trust anything that she comes out with. I can't believe that she keeps getting money to put out this junk research. Okay, and then a lot of people have been talking about this documentary from BBC. It's titled E-Cigarettes, Miracle or Menace. I watched it, it's 50 minutes long, and it's a really good documentary. Uh, I highly recommend that you watch it. 
You can find it on YouTube on at least a, a couple of BBC's official channels. It's a great unbiased documentary that leans very much towards the idea that vaping is a good way to help people quit smoking. So vapingpost.com did a summary of this documentary. So I'm going to talk about some of the things they called out. Basically, what this documentary is about is Michael Mosley. He's a, a journalist who takes up vaping. He's a non-smoker. He takes up vaping for the needs of this documentary. I don't believe they ever say what device he's using, but it looks like any kind of normal device we use today. It's a looks like a box mod with a tank. So some of the things that Michael Mosley observed while using the electronic cigarette was that he knows that e-liquid has nicotine and he was really afraid to try this because he was afraid he was going to get addicted. But what he found is that it wasn't a, a, addictive at all for him and that he doesn't think it's going to be hard at all to kick the habit of vaping. He's just going to be able to quit when the documentary is over. His second observation was that nicotine didn't affect his overall performance in terms of responsiveness or for any other intellectual skills. To explain the effect of nicotine, he suggested that lacking nicotine is like lacking caffeine. The study also had a quick segment about secondhand vaping. So Dr. Mark Travers put two guys, experienced vapors, in a test chamber where they vaped. He tested quantity and quality of the vapor being produced. So if you watch the documentary, you'll see that he was really surprised by the amount of particles that were found, like how heavy, how high those levels went up. But something that Dr. Travers also pointed out was that the particles are entirely different than what comes out of a cigarette because there's no combustion. And the doctor also said that those particles are 99% less toxic than the particles that come from combustible cigarettes. So yes, it's true. There are a lot of particles in the air, which do dissipate pretty quickly. But just because there's, there's a lot of particles, that doesn't mean anything. Those particles are practically harmless. Really the one negative that they found in this was that vaping seems to produce a lot of microphages in the lungs that could be detrimental because they produce enzymes that may damage the lung itself instead of being used to protect the body from other substances. But the lungs return to normal within a couple of weeks after those people have stopped vaping. The documentary concluded that for smokers, vaping is something that may help them stop smoking and has a low risk profile in the short term, but long-term effects are not known. And throughout that study, they also had three different groups of people. They had people who were using NRT products, a group of people who are quit cold turkey, and a group of people who use electronic cigarettes. The people who quit cold turkey pretty much failed miserably. The majority of them went back to smoking. People who used NRT products like the patch or nicotine gum, I think they used the patch in the study, in the, in the documentary, seven out of eight of them quit smoking, at least during the, the study, I think it was a month long. And the same amount of people who use electronic cigarettes also quit smoking entirely. So it goes to show that electronic cigarettes are just as useful, at least in the short term, as NRT products that are already on the market. It's a really good study, you should watch it. Okay, so now let's get into the tips and tricks section of the show. So this first one I wanna talk about was a thread on vapingunderground.com titled, Mod for Floating the River. So this person says that him and his wife float the river almost every weekend, nothing with rapids, they just sit on top of kayaks with a fair amount of beer, but they've been known to take the occasional dunk. He's wondering if there's any devices out there that won't get damaged if they accidentally drop it in the water or get water on it. So a lot of people here mention mech mods because there's no chips to short out if it accidentally gets in the water. One thing that I mentioned in my comment on this thread was that that's true, mech mods won't get damaged, but if the battery gets wet, you're gonna have to wait for that battery to dry out before you use it, because you don't wanna use a wet battery in your mech mod. You could do things like keep it wrapped up in a plastic baggie or something, but that doesn't prevent it 
from falling in the water if there's an accident. There were also a couple of people who recommended the Heat Vape Invader, and that's actually what I was going to comment on this thread myself, because that's the first mod that came to mind. It was really popular, uh, I probably mid last year. Everyone was giving it really good reviews. I was seeing videos of people running over it with cars. Fresh 03 dunked it in a glass of water, fully submerged during his whole live show, and I think that was like two hours long, and then pulled it out of the water at the end of the show, and it worked perfectly. So it's a pretty durable mod. And then someone actually mentioned the Heat Vape Invader, and that eFun.top had it on sale for only $10. I immediately went to eFun.top and ordered two of them. I've been wanting one of those for a really long time, so I can't wait to get that. A couple other people mentioned things like the AIO, because it's cheap, it's $20, so if you do lose it, it's not going to be that big of a deal, and you can keep it in a waterproof bag or in a waterproof waste pack while you're not using it to protect it from an accident. But yeah, if you're doing anything on water and you're worried about getting your vape wet, I would recommend the Heat Vape Invader. I haven't actually used it yet because I haven't gotten it in the mail yet, but with all of the reviews that people were giving it last year, it looks like it would last in water. Okay, this next subject was on also on vapingunderground.com. It was titled, Giving Up on Budget Juice. So this person says, I'm seriously about to give up on budget juice. I have tried multiple. He got Verde Valley Vapes, which are okay. He got Swag Sauce, which is okay. Vape Wild, eh. Vape Juice, they were horrible. All the budget juices are either muted or flavor doesn't match description or they are just unvapable. Can anyone change my mind? There were a couple of recommendations here like Swagger, which this person already mentioned he doesn't like. Mad Cat, ITC. I don't know what that stands for. And Verde Valley Vapes, which the person also mentioned he doesn't like. There are also brands here like Beyond the Bottles, T-Max, and Doodlebugs. I've heard of T-Max. I haven't tried it, but I heard, I've heard a lot of people saying that one's really good. And a couple of people have also recommended Mad Cow Vapors. But if you go through this thread, you see that most people tend to recommend that the best route to take if you're looking for budget is just to go with DIY. Because you can make much better juice than a lot of these budget juices yourself with quality ingredients so it will taste like a premium juice. And I totally get what this guy is saying. I've tried a lot of juices. I've tried a lot of budget juices too. And I am all about premium e-juices. I know a lot of people say that they're not worth the money, but in my experience with all of the juices that I've tried, usually premium juices are much better than budget juices. They have much better mouthfeels. The flavors just come out a lot more. They're not muted. I just think premium e-juices are way better. Obviously, they're a lot more expensive. And I do agree that it's better to DIY if you're good at DIYing because what goes into those premium e-juices is probably about $2 worth of ingredients or less. But I think if you are going the budget e-juice route, you have to try a lot of different flavors from the same company because not all of them are going to be what you're into. For example, Vape Wild. I've tried a lot of their flavors and I think they, a lot of them that I've tried are okay. Most of them are not juices that I would buy again, but they're okay. But Vape Wild does have at least a couple flavors that I would absolutely buy again. For example, Sweet Complexity, Circus Bear, and Smurf Cake. All three of those I would absolutely buy again. But do you know how many flavors I had to try to find those three? I had to try something like maybe 24, 21, 28 different flavors. I've gone through three or four sample packs from Vape Wild. Each of those come with seven flavors, I believe. And they also include two free ones with your, with your order. So maybe even more e-juices than that. Vape Wild can be good, but to really find something that you love from a budget juice company takes a little bit of time. Okay, and then this next one, another one from vapingunderground.com is titled list of Chinese vape websites slash fast tech alternatives. So the thing about Chinese websites like fast tech is that they're usually very cheap and they also have a lot of clones, which you can get for much cheaper than the authentics. 
and they also tend to work well or sometimes even better. But the big drawback of working with these companies is a lot of times they have really bad customer service and they also have really, really long shipping times. I mean, fast tech might take a month before you get your order or even longer. I had one time where it took a month and a half. So you just have to know that going into it. But anyway, there's this list here. If you're looking for something different than fast tech, maybe they don't have something that specifically that you're looking for. I'm going to go through this list real quick. Maybe not all of them. Gearbest.com, 3avape.com, 3fvape.com, focalesig.com, sigabuy.com, healthcabin.net, heavengifts.com, efun.top, angelsigs.com, aliexpress.com, av40.com, vapingproduct.com, sourcemore.com, cvapor.com, and everzon.com. There are a couple more in there that I didn't mention, but all of those are names that I, re I recognize and I know people order from, so I think it's a pretty good list. Okay, this next one is on Reddit, on Vaping 101, and this is just a really good reminder that beginners are really, really beginners. Like, they don't know anything when, you first, when they first start, and it's important to be patient with these people and really help new people figure out what they need to know. So the, the thread is titled, Confused, Help Please. So he says he's fairly new to vaping and he's recently ran into a problem. He's using the Kingertech K-Box and there's no smoke. He's changed it from 20 watts to 10 watts, but it didn't make a difference. So first of all, this person doesn't understand that reducing wattage would reduce the amount of vapor he gets. But anyway, scroll through here and he says that he's actually tried turning up to 30 or 40 watts and it didn't make a difference. It just started sizzling faster. So obviously it's sizzling and he's not getting any vapor. So what's happening here is what it sounds like is that he's firing it and it sounds like he's expecting it to shoot vapor up into his mouth, but he's not actually inhaling because it's sizzling. So it's it's firing. And the comment after that says, and you've tried breathing it in? If it's sizzling, it should produce vapor when you hit it. So yeah, clearly this guy doesn't understand vaping at all. He needs to be inhaling that. I thought it was kind of funny, but also, you know, just a, a good reminder that when you're a beginner, you need a lot of help. All right, this next topic is titled Painting Your Mod. I found this on ecigaretteforum.com. So this person is talking about the RX200, which he's had for over a half a year or so, and the color is starting to wash off. And I think anyone who has a well-used mod will ha have experienced this because pretty much all of my mods are all scratched up and I don't even abuse them. I usually keep my mod in my pocket or my backpack. I don't have a, a rough job where it would get damaged and they still get all scratched up and the paint chips off and worn off. So there are a couple tips here like this person puts silicone sleeve on his, which is something useful to do right when you get your mod to pr protect it from scratches. But also this person mentions that he uses it to cover all the scratches after the fact. So if that doesn't bother you to have a silicone sleeve on it, that's a good way to go. This person says to just sand it down to bare aluminum and leave it like that. And there are some tips here like if you do decide to paint it, that you should sand it all the way down, but be careful to keep the sandings and the paint out of the vents and areas around the buttons and charger, because that could really cause some damage inside your vaporizer. If you do go with something like spray paint, you want to be very sure that you tape it all the openings very well, because you don't want to get any paint inside the mod. And for a really cool looking finish on your mod, you could go with something like texture coatings from you know, your local hardware store, or you can get a durable paint like truck bed liner. That would look really cool on a mod. I also looked up some aluminum painting tips on Google and found an article on Krylon. They mentioned that after cleaning up, after sanding down the metal and cleaning it off really well, that you can use three different products after the mod is primed or after the after the metal is primed to make sure that the paint sticks. And that would be using rust protector, dual paint and primer, or color master paint and primer. So it is possible to paint aluminum. And I've seen it's possible to paint steel too, but you'll have to look online to, to find some more tips about that. And there was another tip in this thread about 
purchasing mod skins and these are basically like stickers that you put on the mod just to make it look totally different and that would definitely make it look a lot better and cover up all of those scratches and if the skin starts to wear off then you can just go buy another one and I think these cost something like $10 so not expensive at all and something that I would like to recommend would be wood skins a company called wood wud sells real wood skins they're thin so they're bendable and they have pre-made cuts in them so that they they bend around whatever mod you buy them for and they actually have a rouleau rx 200 skin looks nice these wood skins are really beautiful they're a little expensive though i think they're like 30 bucks and i actually have one i got one from them to review i haven't had a chance to review it yet but i got it for the iStick 100 watt tc i really need to get on that one my iStick 100 watt is actually really scratched up. It looks pretty bad. I don't really care all that much, but I would like to have that wood skin on there. All right, and I think I'm going to start a section on DIY moving forward. I don't know if I'm going to have it in every video, but I'm going to do a DIY section in this video or in this show. I'm going to start with this thread on Reddit. It's titled, Have You Ever Mixed Two Different Juices Together That Actually Taste Amazing? The person who posted this thread, he mentions that he didn't have any juice on him when he went into a vape shop with a friend. His buddy who works there put some caramel apple juice in his atomizer, in his RDA, which already had blueberry in it. He said it tasted amazing. So he's asking now, what two juices have you mixed together that surprisingly tasted really good? So this isn't technically a DIY post, but it kind of is. You know, I think it's a really good intro to DIY if that's something you want to try out before you start buying ingredients. But people are saying things like, my all day vape was two parts strawberry cheesecake to one part on cloud custard from Vape Wild. This person says breakfast crispy and pancake man taste like pancakes and strawberries. Nuts and cream from Northland Vapor Company and Mindful Monkey from Om Vapors taste really good together. Stanwicks from Adirondack Vapor and any vanilla custard will taste like chocolate pudding. That sounds delicious. Ruthless Grape Drink and Sour Watermelon from Nectar goes really good together. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting ways that you can combine flavors to get something new and delicious. You need to keep in mind that mixing two different brands can have some pretty big in inconsistencies in things like nicotine throat hit because different companies use different types of nicotine and you there they also use different ratios of pg and vg so so it is important to keep that in mind when you're vaping it's not going to be dangerous or anything but it is going to create some inconsistencies in your e-juice and it might not vape as well as you thought it would have all right this next one i came across on diy e-juice on reddit and this is titled the search for circus bear how i came to know strawberry better so like i mentioned earlier in the show Circus Bear was one of my favorite Vape Wild e-juices. I love it. And this person decided to try and clone it. Well, what I thought was really interesting about this thread is you get to see his entire process of what it takes to try and clone an e-juice. He started trying to clone this in October of last year, and he went through many variations and finally came down to what he believes is an accurate clone a week ago on July 6th. So it took him about nine months to finally get it down. And you can see what he went through to try and figure this out. He was trying different percentages of each flavor, different flavors, adding them in and taking them out. But it's really interesting and clearly a lot of work. So basically, if you're interested in the, in the recipe, he came up with the Flavor Apprentice Strawberry Ripe at 4%, Flavor Arts Strawberry Red Touch at 1.5%, the Flavor Arts Banana Cream at 7%, Capella's Vanilla Custard V1 at 1.5%, and Flavor Arts Meringue at 1.75%. So he says that it's not a terrible shaken vape, but it really needs at least seven days for the custard and meringue to shine through. Two weeks in, and it's really good. And then here's another recipe. He titled it Not a Cough Syrup Cherry. And the reason I wanted to bring this one up is because if you've ever had a cherry e-juice, 
like just a straight cherry flavor. It uh, usually tastes like Robitussin or like a cough syrup. Not very good. I've had a, quite a few cherries that taste like medicine and I, I've, I've never had a, a good tasting cherry e-liquid. Well, this person says that it's not a cough syrup cherry. What he used is Loran's Washington cherry at 1%, Loran's natural cherry at 1%, Capella's vanilla custard V1 at 1%, and Capella's cake batter at 0.5%. So if you're looking for a good cherry e-juice, give that one a shot. I'm gonna give it a shot. All right, and if you're looking for a, a bunch of DIY recipes that are worth trying out, there's this thread on DIY e-juice titled, which recipes are in your daily rotation? So I think if people are using these daily, I think it's a pretty good example of a recipe that's worth trying. I'm not gonna list all of them here because there's a ton of them. For example, this one guy, he has something like 20 different flavors that he makes consistently. So yeah, I'm not gonna go through all of those, but I'm gonna have a link in the show notes if you wanna go check out that thread so you can find some good recipes to get going on. But there are some really good sounding ones in here like banana pudding, Mountain Dew Code Red, Funfetti, fried ice cream, Nuka Cola. If you don't know what Nuka Cola is, that's uh, from the video game Fallout. Here's another one, Oreo ice cream, raspberry custard. Yeah, some really good sounding e-juices here. Okay, and then this thread on vapingunderground.com it's just titled for the bakery fans flavor arts new flavor labyrinth is amazing at two percent so this is just a single flavor and he says that it tastes exactly like strawberry jam and cream sponge cake so sounds pretty good and i've actually been hearing a lot about flavor arts most recent release of flavorings they have I've seen a, a sales sheet of something like eight flavors. There might be more than that, but I've seen a sales sheet of eight flavors and they all sound really good. So I think it's really cool that Flavor Art and other flavor companies are starting to put out single flavor concentrates that are just ready to use in your e-juice right away. But yeah, I think I'm probably gonna pick up this Labyrinth one because that sounds pretty good. And the last one I'm gonna talk about here is an updated list of the Flavor Apprentice flavors and if they have diacetyl, acetoin, and or acetylpropanil in them. So there are lists like this that have been created in the past, but this one is updated as of July 9th, 2016. So there are two types of people who would find this list useful. People who want these flavors because they're very tasty and they, they're not worried about those ingredients and the people who are worried about those ingredients and want to stay far away from them. The last time the list was updated was on April 6th. Now it has some more flavors on there. There's a lot of them here. There are about 324 flavors here that contain these ingredients. So if that's something you're trying to stay away from, definitely check out this list. Okay, so that's gonna do it for episode 25. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. And if you wanna support the show, please consider donating to my Patreon page. You'll find that at patreon.com slash vapepassion. And you'll find a link to that on my website too if you just wanna go there and click on it. Anything you can contribute would help. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion. I'm also on Facebook. And if you want to be notified of new episodes or any kind of updates, my reviews, things like that, go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter. And like always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at alex at vapepassion.com or just comment on one of my videos on YouTube. All right, so thanks for sticking around and I hope to see you again next week.